Welcome to another edition of The Wake Up Call. I'm your host, Reno Muntz. Super excited about today's episode. I'm going to be talking to Sarah Edmondson. And some of y'all who are watching on Instagram, if you click the link in my bio, it'll bring you over to the live interview. So you'll be able to see and hear her. I always keep the camera on in the background just so you can kind of see behind the scenes. And those of you who are on Instagram can uh, get to know where we're at with the YouTube thing. So that's kind of what's happening uh, today. And we'll tell you a little bit more about Sarah Edmondson when we get to the conversation. Welcome everybody who's coming into the show live on YouTube. And once again, Instagram folks, just click the link in my bio, it'll bring you over. Want to thank our sponsors for the show. First off, want to thank Minds Dye. Minds Dye makes hand dyed all, anything you want, totally custom. Uh, check them out, Minds Dye on Instagram, or you can go to the Etsy store and check out the Minds Dye and get yourself bed sheets, kimonos, curtains, you name it, she can do it. She's very talented and a supporter of the show for quite some time. Also want to thank our sponsor Shakti Jewelry. Shakti Jewelry makes beautiful adornments, lots of gold and uh, whatever you, you want. She can also do custom work. She's also got work that you can check out on her site. Go to iloveshakti.com or go to uh, my Shakti Jewelry on Instagram. Also want to thank our sponsor Nahung.net. They raise awareness around the Sikh tradition. They've been a sponsor for some time. So if that's something that speaks to you, it's also a part of our healing process with our involvement with Kundalini Yoga, just to be engaged with groups like Nahung.net so you can learn about Sikhi if that's something. If you're confused coming out of Kundalini Yoga, that's a great resource. So that's Nahung.net. And lastly, thank our sponsor, Seed Apparel. Seed makes hemp clothing, not like hippie, Uncle Hippie <laughs> hemp clothing, but pretty stylish, uh, environmentally, socially responsible company. They've been a sponsor for the show for a few years now. And you can check them out at theseedstore.ca or go to I Am Seed on Instagram. Whew. Every time I do the sponsors, I feel like I'm a, like an auctioneer or something like that. So super grateful for all of our sponsors and for you uh, being a part of the show. And today we're talking about how to leave a cult with Sarah Edmondson. It's going to be a, a great conversation. I've been looking forward to this one for a few weeks now and um going to go on her show in the future too so she can uh, ask me the questions and I'm sure some things will come up with uh, with my journey as well. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation about how to leave a cult with Sarah Edmondson. I'll bring her into the into the show. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing awesome. Thanks. Mm -hmm. I, I know you were saying yeah. at the start of this that you feel like you're kind of racing around and I feel the same way I was on Salt Spring Island. So I was just like moving at the super slow pace of Salt Spring Island and then oh, hit the ground running today. So we'll same get here. There. Actually, just just pushing the laundry off screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do this that. Huge too. pile of huge pile of laundry on top of a huge pile of children's um, toys. So it anyway, sounds, how, how, sounds very sound familiar. Like? I usually yes. like have the laundry rack over here to the side so you can't see it. <laughs> Super yeah. professional. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I was in a cult. Okay. So I, you know, oh wait, you were too. Maybe we don't know. We got <laughs> to right. talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get right into it. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit for people. Like, I mean, for me, I, I guess I could share like how I found out about uh, you in, in just sure. a little short um, blurb and then kind of ask you about your life and then dive in from there. 
Um, mm -hmm. I started watching The Vow on HBO. It was recommended to me by some friends. I saw so many parallels to some of my experiences connected to 3HO and Kundalini Yoga. And um, I didn't really think much beyond that, except for, you know, that was pretty interesting. And I noticed mm -hmm. that there was, because there was this Vancouver connection, I saw some similarities or faces mm -hmm. that I'd seen in yoga classes personally, or there was like a connection for me there. And then I just sort of carried on. And then uh, somebody who watches mm -hmm. our, um, program here they said hey have you ever met sarah edmondson like i would be really surprised if you didn't know her and i said i don't think mm -hmm. i know her but there were mm -hmm. people in the in the series that i recognized and she said yeah. oh you gotta get her on your show and then that started the wheel turning where i was like yeah i definitely need to do that and mm -hmm. uh, now here we are so hooray for that Hooray. Yay for social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. There are some uh, great things about social media. Mm -hmm. So why don't you, um, you know, I know you were born and raised in, in Vancouver, and I read on your IMDb that your parents were therapists, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing, especially mm -hmm. in the work that I do around recovery. And so I wondered if you'd tell people a little bit about growing up in um, Vancouver, like, did you do well in school? You know, all of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in Vancouver, um, born and raised here. I went to Queen Mary and Lord Bang and did really well in school. I was like, you know, four point, I was kind of a nerd, you know, um, I had glasses and braces and was never popular. Uh, but I became eventually uh, like a theater nerd and did the whole, you know, drama school thing. Um, but my mom's a therapist, my dad's a counselor, both of them are very active, um, like politically and, you know, into social justice. Like I was marching for peace along the Burrard Bridge as early as the eighties. Um, I guess I get, that was against nuclear warheads or I don't even know, I was so young, but that was always part of my upbringing is like, you take a stand for what's right, right? Which we'll circle back to later. Um, and I would say like, what would be interesting about that? I think, I mean, I got sidebar. I don't normally talk about this when I do interviews, but I got into yoga, um, in the like uh, late mid, mid to late nineties. I've never, uh, as diehard as you, but I, um, practiced at the, what was that center that was right across from the first Lululemon? Do you remember? Um, that uh, yoga studio Semper and like, eat, what's that? Semper like this is where Ian Finn taught originally and, it might be before um, my time because I'm like, okay. uh, I've been in Vancouver later for about 12 years. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I like dabbled in those early, the, the beginning of like the early yoga rush, but I never, and I did, you know, Bikrams for a while. Didn't like the, didn't like the carpeted sweaty vibe. Um, but I like tried <laughs> different things and I, but I really always been drawn to community. And I, I think that's sort of what set me up to, um, be susceptible to Nexium later is that I was, you know, as part of um, my parents aren't, my dad's atheist, but uh, Anglican background. My mom's Jewish, also not super religious, but the community aspect of Judaism I've always really liked. So I went to a Jewish summer camp and um, feeling like I fit in there was really an important thing for me. And then when that was over, when I wasn't a camp counselor anymore at 18, I spent years, I went to uh, Montreal being um, to do uh theater school. And then I came back to Vancouver in 2000 and was kind of like, where, where's my people? You know, where's, where's my, where's my tribe? And I did, did do yoga. I, um, was doing a lot of like 
seeking and read like the Celestine Prophecy and the Power of Now and um, <clears throat> uh, what's that book by Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way. So oh, yeah. I've always been, yeah, I've always been like really wanting to understand myself and um, improve and um, personal development, I think was always embedded in me because of my parents being so open and, you know, talking about our feelings and things like that. So getting into Nexium was a real easy slide for me. <laughs> I didn't even Google it. Yeah, that makes sense mm -hmm. with your uh, upbringing. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to touch on that. And also we can go later too, because watching the vow and just seeing the relationship with uh, India's mother, like I we could talk about now or later, but I wondered about, whatever you know, your parents, what what did they think about your time in Nexium while you were going through it? Is that appropriate to do now or oh, should we hold on? Anytime. No, anytime. Okay. Um, and like I said, you can ask me anything. I've been very open about my experience. But, um, you know, my mom, I think, was more vocally skeptical right from the beginning. And she's done a lot of work on herself and um, trained at a place called Haven by the Sea, uh, or, sorry, PD Seminars, which is a place at, called Haven on Gabriel Island and did her whole certificate training there. Um, so she's very aware of, I guess, cultic practices. And there's a lot of red flags for her. But she also knew that if she was too vocal, that I, as the more dependent I got on the group, the more that I would, I would have to push her away if I wanted to stay involved. So she always kept me close. She never pushed too much. Um, my dad didn't take it for a long time. And after five years of seeing me just thrive, said, okay, and gave it a go and really liked it. Lots of it didn't jive for him because it's definitely, he's a very left wing and there's some, now I see kind of right wing, not uh, Canadian socialist positive aspects about the training that rubbed him the wrong way but he, for him about his goals and helping him in his life he got a lot out of it so he went he was my parents were not in alignment about what they thought was going on ultimately um and they decided not to do an intervention with me ever as things as i got more and more involved because ultimately and i think this is why none of my friends i mean just tangent for a minute ever sat me down to do a proper intervention is because ultimately who like I, I'm, it looks like my life is good, right? Maybe this thing I'm involved in was a little bit culty. It's also the name of our, our podcast. Um, uh -huh. But they, they, they couldn't point to what the specific abuses were in the way that we can now because of the vow and the trial and everything that's come out. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's pretty interesting. Like you said, your mom kind of, had some awareness like not to push too much because that would be harder mm -hmm. down the line that that's pretty mm -hmm. great to have parents with that kind of awareness yes now she's been amazing and as soon as i as soon as i started to question and then when i told her i was out she was so happy never seen her so happy <laughs> i love that yeah. i wanted to know like you know you know a little bit about my background like mm -hmm. you know I, I started doing kundalini yoga not that long ago just five years mm -hmm. or something like that and uh you know not to make this all about me but hey here's a little bit about me um, <laughs> no it's okay you know I, I i was always a spiritual seeker since i was a, a little kid and i also like was involved in music and you know i always tell people i never had a real job I was, you know, played in a band or traveled around DJing or, mm -hmm. you know, was a yogi, but I never really had like a real career. And 
But what made my relationship to Kundalini Yoga especially unique is that, I don't know if you know the philosopher Alan Watts, but I'm a big Alan mm. Watts fan. I'll send you some stuff. He's an incredible guy. He was around in like the 60s and 70s, a real rebel uh, British uh, character. And okay. I would say he was a blessing and a curse in my life because um, he drank a lot and he also meditated a lot. And mm. I, I've always felt like the blessing and the curse for him in my life was that I kept on drinking despite, you know, being in recovery when I was 20 years old, being in and out of trouble with the law, started meditating, but still kept holding on to especially uh, alcohol was a big one in my life. And I would always be like, oh, I can keep drinking and, and sharing all of these things, even though I've got all these problems, because Alan Watts did it too. And, and so that was like, you know, that went on for years. And I would give, like, he used to have people sit beside him to help hurt, like hold him up while he was drinking vodka and talking about Zen or something like that. Wow. And so I carried on like that for quite some time. And until I, my daughter was born, I started to have some real like, okay, this is a problem. And that's when my wife had started doing Kundalini yoga when she was pregnant with our daughter. And so she got me interested in doing the practice. And it was actually the practice that was my support system to get sober. And I've been in and out mm -hmm. of recovery for 20 years. And, and I'm just bringing all of that up to say that when I was involved in this thing, most of the time it was really inspiring for me because I was able to make some big changes in my life that I wasn't able to make previously. And when stuff started coming out around Yogi Bhajan, that's what made it really hard for me to look at it because this was something that supported me in my recovery. You know what I mean? Like I put mm -hmm. a lot of emphasis on... Kundalini yoga helped me get sober and everybody should do it, especially people who are in, in recovery. And, and I've, you know, through the years been supporting a lot of people in recovery. So, you know, the reason why I wanted to share that with you is I wondered, like, you know, nobody goes out and just goes like, hey, let's join a cult. Um, mm -hmm. There must have been some aspects of Nexium in the beginning that was, you know, 100%. really inspiring and, and really like helped you in your life. And I just wanted some perspective on that. Sure. Yeah. There's what I've since learned about, about cults and groups that um, use undue influence, which is probably a less um, confrontational word. And I'm, I, we're going to do a podcast soon with um, one of the hosts from Conspirituality. I don't know if you listen to that podcast. Um, and we're going to look at those, some of these words, cults, brainwashing, mind control, undue influence, because a lot of people get very confronted by, well, I'm not in a cult. I, what I did was good. And okay, so the leader has this sketchy past or is being accused of abuse or whatever, and they want to cling on to what was good because it helped them. It's totally normal and very natural and an important part of the healing. Um, and I have been very vocal about and I'm not personally one of the throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, approaches, which I know many people need to do once they come to terms with what they've been involved with. And that there may be cases where there is a group where you need to do that. <laughs> so, but for us, um, I talk a lot about that in my book, a little plug for it here. So in my book, I talk about how much I was drawn into the community and what was good about it. And I've since learned that the tools or he called the technology which also should should be uh i think there's a parallel there you guys had a kundalini technology am i right yeah i think that's a red flag <laughs> if somebody say because it, it makes it sound so scientific that's a red <laughs> flag Techno I, like I have it. a technology yeah no you don't have a technology okay but um 
they were, it was basically tools for, you know, living a better life. And I was very into how effective it was, especially coming from parents who are therapists where there's a lot of talk, 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 share your feelings. This was very much for me condensed therapy. In my first five-day training, um, and I had a lot of red flags, we can talk about that later, but ultimately what I got out of it was a very strong sense of myself, um, understanding um, why my self-esteem was low in certain areas, what I could do to change that, how I was responsible for my emotions, how I could change those at will. Uh, I got a very clear sense of what my value system was, like what my personal values were. Um, <clears throat> It helped me understand a lot of my reactivity and what the core issues were underneath that that caused that reactivity. So, I mean, I got out of my five-day thinking I had found the secret to life, truly. So I, I feel like I have to be honest about that. And there's a lot of people who are who will just say, well, it was shit from the beginning. And that's not true because why would you join something that's shitty from the beginning? <laughs> but yes, exactly. What, right? So there's got to be good stuff. And I, I since understand that cults are like, you know, there's a, a rotten onion uh, at the core and on the outside there's rings and rings and rings and those are peripheral members and on the outside and the, the outer rings is there's honey on that outs on that onion and the people are drawn to the honey there's got to be good things and then the closer you get to the inner circle where all the rotten shit is in the inside of the onion sorry it's live kind of swearing is okay right yeah of course okay I, okay good, I'm, good. I'm a i'm a very anyone who knows me knows i'm a bit of a rebel i'm like a okay. punk rock kind of yogi so you're good I'm like a punk rock cult survivor. <laughs> yeah, <there>. you are. <laughs> I definitely have a potty mouth. I swear all the time. I owe my son $250 for the last, basically since the vow came out, my swearing got worse. And then he, he started charging me a dollar a swear. And now I owe him $250. So wow, just to get that's you a amazing. He's a hustler. He's a hustler. I'm like, this is how you're making your money because I have a potty mouth. I don't know what, the, what I'm teaching him is really bad. But anyways, it's sort of keeping me on track. Anyway, uh, I digress. We we're talking about what was good about it. Um, I mean, I, I could do a whole podcast about a whole interview with you right now about what was good about it. But I, I, I what I want to say is that a lot of the good things that we got were also used against me later. And I noticed that in some of the stuff I was watching of your interviews and, and um, some other interviews I listened to from your community when people were starting to question and then they had in their own minds their own gaslighting response going, no, you're just an ego. No, you're in resistance. Like, which is, I'm assuming what you would hear from your teachers when you were butting up against something. That's what we got too. If I was questioning or had a, you know, a concern about something, it's just a fear. It's just a viscera. It's just your, we didn't say ego. We said pride. It's just your pride in the way. And so pride and understanding that, I mean, that's a real thing. Having pride issues or ego issues, ego issues is something that really can prevent you from being successful in your life. But when you're having a concern about abuse and you want to talk to somebody about it and someone says you're being prideful, or in my case, I'm being controlling and I need to surrender more to the process because that's what's holding me back. That's when the, the very tools that you're there to get are flipped back at you. That's ultimately it's gaslighting. So I think that's what provokes people to say, let's just throw the baby out with the bathwater because it's rooted in um, a negative intent, which is to control, to extract funds for sex, which seems to be control, sex, and power is at the root of all these groups, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, so that's... That, that's really uh, 
you know, makes sense, I guess, is what I'm trying to say to hear that. <laughs> and that's like the common thing, right? It's like as a person who um, I know you were in our center, Dharma Temple, and something for us around the mm -hmm. Kundalini Yoga thing was that we we sort of always felt like, what is the deal with like 3HO and all of these rules and all of that? We don't really want to do all of that. So we're not going to like contribute any money to that. We're not going to pay the, you know, the KRI fees and all of that. But we do want to teach this thing. And so we kind of did this dance, but not knowing the extent of the abuse with Yogi Bhajan. But mm -hmm. we did have those red flags. So I think in some ways we were listening to them. But at the same time, the challenge becomes somebody gave me this analogy once that was like, because we would, when it started coming up, we sort of thought of ourselves as separate from it. Mm -hmm. But are, are we separate from it? I mean, we're teaching this stuff. We're, we're telling people like, look at all this great stuff and look where it came from. And out of wanting to be reverent, pointing to this teacher who passed it down. And then when things started coming to the surface, which we heard whispers of as we went along, mm -hmm. we kind of felt like we could go like, oh, well, we're not fully in. And someone gave me the analogy. It's like if somebody steps on your brother's foot or something, you don't just go like, oh, it's not my problem like see you later it's like hey how can i how can i help even though you're not you know directly involved and and in mm -hmm. some ways that gets kind of sticky because it's like well you're sharing this stuff so you're you're involved and eventually i had to come mm -hmm. to the realization for me personally that mm -hmm. it's like i have a responsibility to be a part of this cleanup and 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 the big question that comes up for people is like, can't I keep sharing the yoga? Like, am I allowed? You hear this? Am I allowed mm -hmm. to keep sharing the yoga? Am I allowed to keep practicing the yoga? And it's a hard question to answer. I mean, it's a hard question. That. I actually don't have an answer for you, but I actually a quick question: Is Yogi yep. Bhajan is he the father of all Kundalini? Well, this is a, <laughs> the interesting thing about <laughs> Kundalini Yoga. This is what most of the yogis who came from India did. Mm -hmm. They saw like how we operate in the West with capitalism. And then mm -hmm. they're like, oh, we have to name this something. And so they would take a traditional name. You know, it would be like calling it like the Torah or something so mm -hmm. that people like in a capitalist mm -hmm. society can be like, oh, okay, well, we practice the Torah. Well, actually, mm -hmm. you, you don't practice the Torah. That belongs to the Jewish tradition for yeah, yeah. a long, long time, but they just tag mm -hmm. a name on it so that they can right. sell it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess what I'm curious about is like, is there anything that's, that you could take from Kundalini that doesn't come from Yogi Bhajan that's like pure from his mind? I, I, that's what I, I don't know. That I haven't researched enough to to yeah. Comment and, on well, that. let's let's let's. I mean, we can sort of save so that. We can circle for a sec, back but, to that. <laughs> yeah, let's think about it like this. Just just so that we're kind of relating to each other, and then maybe we'll sure. answer the question for other people. Like, if you say, "Oh, I could do a whole episode on what was positive that I experienced in Nexium before things started to get before the red flags and all of that," um, you know. If somebody came to you and said, who was maybe at your center, for those people who don't know, you had a center in, in Vancouver, who came to you and what they've heard had some red flags and they wanted to, you know, they had a maybe like a moral conundrum. <laughs> like they were like, can I keep sharing this? But there's something weird about this. Like, you know, what well, would you say? Is there well, a way to I, keep sharing what you learned? This is what I've done and I've encouraged other people to do. I don't know who's doing it because I'm not in touch with everybody, but, um, I've said, take, if there's a tool that you like, you know, um, I'm just going to give an example. We had a, uh, something called state changing where you could 
change your internal state emotionally to something else. So if you were down and low and unmotivated and you need to complete a project, you could trigger your motivated state or your excited state. And it would look like I just said it and my whole body tingled because I did it for so many years. I practiced the internal thought trigger, which changed my physiology. And then I was more up, which you need to do. Like if you're a teacher and you're teaching yoga and you're like, yeah, I don't really, I'm a hungover or whatever. Like you can't do that, right? Like you have to be on. So those tools I use, I used all the time. I still use them, but I know that it's not from Keith. It's from NLP. Now, whether you, lots of people don't like NLP and there's lots of controversy around that too. It's just an example. So I say to people, take the tool that you like, figure out where it came from. Or if you don't want to do that research, ask me because that's what I've been doing and speaking to different psychologists and therapists and Buddhists and all sorts of different people and going like this little nugget is from here. It's not from Keith, but Keith specifically like cobbled together his own success program based on all these other teachings. It's like he went into Banyan books and like took the best up, highlighted it and put it in a glass and then packaged it in such a way and asked questions in such a way that you would have these internal ahas and internal shifts so that these things would be more permanent. That was the idea. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, that's okay. ultimately what, what I'm doing too. I have a background in academics with religious studies and um, years, you know, 20 years of practice, five of that being Kundalini yoga and have had these experiences now where people are like, why don't you just go through everything that he offered as your life's work and pick it apart, take what's could help people and then mm -hmm. expose what was bullshit. And maybe that's a way to serve. And I think, you know, hearing you say that's something that you're doing, um, I'm like, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And Yogi Bhajan did the exact same thing. You know, he picked he? all, oh yeah. There's like things where you're like, oh yeah, I know where that came from. Oh, this came. And in some ways it's really sad because he sort of like watered down the Sikh tradition. So there's a, I mean, we live in Vancouver in, in Surrey, they have the highest uh, Sikh population outside of the Punjab in India. Like mm -hmm. we have that here. And I have many friends who are connected to the Sikh faith. And in a lot of ways they feel like really hurt that he took parts of this tradition and passed and then passed off parts that were harmful and said, oh yeah, no, it's the Sikh tradition. And then, mm. you know, there's parts of yoga like that. And then there's parts of just manipulation and how can we make money? And of course, you're going to have some positive experiences with it. Right. I mean, I have, you you know, especially a person you've, in recovery. Yeah. And you've obviously you know. seen the Bikram documentary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're all over, like, even before this came up, my partner and I are like all over anything culty. You know, oh, yeah. We watched the Father Yod uh, documentary. I don't know if you've seen oh, that one. No, that's not. I haven't watched that one yet. It's on it's Netflix. It's really good. And he was a student of Yogi Bhajan, and he basically just looked what looked at what he did, Father copied Yad? it, and did the same thing. Is it called yeah. Father Yad? No, that's the name of the guy. I, I can't remember the name S of the send documentary. Send it to me later. I mean, yeah, we have, I'll by send the way, it to I you. should I should send you. I have a whole list that, um, if you remember from the from the Vow Bonnie piece, who woke up first, Mark's wife. Yes. She created a resource list for um, people to to look at as they were starting to wake up. And she specifically didn't put anything in there that used the word cult, which I think is brilliant. And awesome. um, yeah, so I have that on my website. If anyone wants to check that out, sarahedmondson.com. But I also have a more extensive list that I can send you. And it has all the documentaries, you know, Wild Wild Country and um, uh, Holy Hell. You've seen Holy Hell? I haven't seen that one, no. 
Okay. Oh, that's about Buddha field. Buddha field is not yoga related. Um, no, where, where does Siddha yoga and Guru Mai fit into this shit show? Yeah, I'm not as familiar with that. Okay. I mean, I'm familiar with uh, the Ashtanga thing because we were connected to that community years that's, ago. That's John, John Friend? No, that's Anusara. Ashtanga oh, is, okay. is Patabi Joyce from India. Okay. Yeah, right. and so people are still dealing with, he had all of these. Uh, oh, the Source family is the name of the Father Yad doc. That's my partner okay. in the comments there. So it's called the Source okay. family. I can't it's, see the comments. Should I be able to? There should be a thing on your screen. Oh, I that, see it now. Okay, great. Yeah. So now you can see the comments. And anybody who's watching in the comments, if you want to uh, ask a question or anything like that, you're more than welcome to do that. Wait, Sarah is your partner? Sarah yep. Jade? Yeah. I heard Jade's she's a beautiful, a beautiful Instagram that I'm supposed to follow. So I'll look into that. Yeah, please do. Yeah, She's really special. Um, yeah, I, I, somebody here in the comments, like when you were mm -hmm. describing what Keith did to you, they said, oh, this sounds familiar. And I know they're a, a Kundalini person from down in Texas. Um, yeah, so, okay, well, let's Wait, just keep... Before, before you ask a question, I want to, to say yeah. something, because you said that I've been in your center in the Dharma temple. Yeah. All right. And I wanted to just clarify, I never took classes there, but I think this is crazy how it all came full circle. The, like two months before we woke up, Nippy, my partner, a husband, um, Anthony, was uh, making a web series called Night Owls. And we were shooting the pilot. And in the pilot, his character, who's a gym rat, um, gets dragged to a yoga class. And so we needed a yoga studio to shoot at. And that's where we ended up. And I remember thinking it was beautiful, a beautiful space. We loved all the Palo Santo and it was like, a, I loved the gift shop. I loved all of that. And um, ironically, we can't pursue the podcast, or sorry, the web series, because Nippy's sidekick in the show is still in Nexium, still loyal to Keith as is, was our producer. Um, so I have this like really weird feeling about shooting that and being in Dharma Temple. Anyway, it's all, it all comes full circle. So here we are. Yes, it definitely does. I didn't, mm -hmm. yeah, I knew you were in there, but I didn't know the part about the still tied to Nexium. So that's <laughs> fascinating. We were, we were meant to be here together today. There's no doubt yes. about that. I love that. Um, I wanted to know like, so you're in Nexium, and then mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're having these great experiences, which we we're sharing, you know, parallel lines. Um, and then, do you, like, do you start to see or hear things first, or does it kind of all come up at once? Or, I mean, it's hard to get the perspective from watching the vow. Obviously, I haven't read yes. the book, which I will read. Mm -hmm. um, but I was just wondering, like. You know, for us, it was hearing whispers of things and mm -hmm. then just being like, oh, that couldn't be true. Or being told by people in leadership when we ask questions, being like, oh, no, no, people are trying to, uh, you know, push, put put Yogi Bhajan down or they're out to get him or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and we thought that's that's a possibility, I guess. What was your experience with the yeah. red flags? So I'm going to reference another book that I love called Take Back Your Life. Oops, where's the camera there? Take Back Your Life by Yanya Lalich. And I actually just narrated the audio version of this, which should be out in a couple months. I recommend oh, this for anybody, anybody getting out of any cult, abusive relationship, undue influence, all that stuff. But she talks about how similar to an, an abusive relationship, when you hear or you have an experience that's not good or that's like contradictory to what you think is right, it doesn't necessarily wake you up. And it's almost like you put it, on the shelf, under the shelf behind me, put the item on the shelf, something else happens, you put it on the shelf and eventually the shelf breaks. 
So the thing that wakes you up is the sort of the final straw. But I mean, ultimately, we had heard whispers in many, not right from the beginning, but there was a group of people who left once had been involved for four years. And they were, they, their allegations were so extreme to my, what I, so one of the things they said to us with these things is, well, what's your experience? Have you ever experienced Keith being like that? And because Keith never overtly hit on me, I just couldn't imagine this mentor being with all these women because he's the ther- he's the leader. He's the you know he's we didn't use the word guru um, the way that you do, but it, in, it, he was that role to us, and I just thought that'd be hugely inappropriate. So I, I couldn't fathom it. Um, and then he, I mean, he, I don't want to use the word brilliant, but he is very strategic. He he would talked a lot about media and speaking dishonorably and like you know when you're such a good humanitarian trying to change ethics in the world like he's doing there's always going to be pushback and what's the worst thing that you could do to a noble humanitarian well you say they're a pedophile you say they're abusing people and then that happened and it happened in the media in 2012 i think and i didn't even read it because we were told that would change our internal representation of Keith, which wouldn't be good because we would be violent to our thought object of him in our minds. These are Nexium terms. Um, and I was just, I, when people didn't come take our training because of that media, I would say, you know, think of somebody you love and trust, like your parent. What if somebody in the news said that he was a pedophile? You'd be like, what the fuck? That's what it felt like to me. Right. It's like, how could, that's just so out of left field. I mean, I feel so naive now not having you know done the research but that's how it worked you you trust the people in your system you don't believe it could possibly happen um but for me it was more about inconsistencies in the leadership over time that wore down my trust in that it actually worked um just as an example like some of the leaders who are high rank who are supposed to be integrated in other words higher up on the spiritual path would just have really bad habits that I just didn't think that you should do if you were like eating disorders and things like that. You know, like you shouldn't have that struggle anymore if you're that high up kind of thing. And then there were things, and I did talk about this in my book more, um, just like teachings that got, um, that convoluted concepts that never felt right to me, but I couldn't articulate why, uh, for example, in the women's program that was introduced in Jeunesse, we were looking at we were looking at like the best and the worst parts of each gender, male, female, which I don't know how that would go over now in the current state of identity and sexuality and names and all that stuff. But at the time, one of the things that was pointed out about women is that we're entitled, that we're princesses and reactor, and which there may be some truth to that. Uh, I think also there's some entitlement for men as well, but we were specifically the spotlight was on the women. And so if I were to voice something, like there was a point where our commissions were withheld for a long time and I brought that up and I was told I was being entitled. And that just didn't sit right with me, but I also like didn't have anything to necessarily doubt the framework. So there's a number of things that happened uh, that, you know, ultimately we were disenfranchised but didn't know it because, you know, I was also hugely invested. I also had a center. I don't know what your rent was on Main Street, but my rent was like close to 7000 a month. So yeah, I had similar, to, similar you know, yeah, right. It's a lot. It's a huge rent. The membership that you need to get to keep. I mean, I didn't have a second to myself to even think, do I want to keep doing this? 
right? Totally. So I, mm-hmm. I, I was just go, 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 go. And ultimately, um, getting involved in the women's group, which is the, the women's only secret sorority that I was invited to in, the, in the, my last few months of my 12 years there, which I agreed to for a number of different reasons, which I don't know if you want me to go into that, but ultimately it was my experience in that that woke me up and a number of things that happened in that group, including being asked to give collateral as a commitment for my, sorry, as, as proof of my commitment. And one of those things being the, the deed to my house, my apartment that I'm sitting in right now, which I did not give. <laughs> um, and figuring out that the symbol that I had received in this beautiful initiation ceremony was actually not a symbol for the four elements, but was actually Keith's initials. So those things were the things that ultimately woke me up. And then, you know, having a conversation with Mark where he shared with me that he thought that Keith was a sociopath and that he directly lied to him about X, Y, and Z and figuring out that Keith was responsible for the women's group and that all these women had given naked photos as collateral to be to their female friends, which now I knew were going to Keith for his spank bank. I mean, like, I can't even tell you how things unraveled in such an unfortunate and perverse and disgusting, sadistic, painful way in a very short period of time. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. You, you really illustrated the loading up of the shelf. Uh, there. Yes. Yeah. It was like, boop, 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 crash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, talking to you is, it's just like an amplified version of watching the vow for me where I was just like, you know, we had to close our center because of the pandemic. And that was right at the start when things were really coming up with Yogi Bhajan. It had gone from whispers to like a full on investigation and people coming forward all over the place. And we were still being told by some people that none of this was true. And there's still people holding on to that idea. And I mean, he's been dead for a long time, so it's hard to know. But while I was... There's, yeah, because there's, there's deniers, right? Like there's full on... Big time deniers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we can get into that. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm ready for... Sure. I'm ready for your show. I could tell you all kinds of uh, a story. So I'm ready to okay. do that. Um, but I just wanted to share with you, like, I was, you know, it was a hard year for us because this is our mm-hmm. source of income. Um, and it's also like helped a lot of people in our community, especially in relationship to recovery. And we have a beautiful community. And the interesting thing is when, even when all this stuff happened with Yogi Budget and we had to come forward and talk to our students, like the majority of the people who were at the meeting where we had to address the uh, multiple cases of sexual violence and abuse, the majority of the people there were like, I don't even know what Yogi Budget looks like. You know what I mean? But we still felt a moral obligation. And so this past year has been like, what do we do? Like, how do we go forward? How do we continue to support our community? How do we continue to support the recovery people? For me, it's like, how do I continue to stay sober if I step away from Mm -hmm. this that has been my support system? And one of the great uh, experiences, although it wasn't like fun to watch or anything like that, but was to watch the vow and just be like, oh, yeah ticking boxes, right? Like, oh yeah, I've experienced that. Oh yeah, I've experienced that. Oh yeah, I've experienced that. Oh, and now talking to you and I know there's people watching too who are like, yep, sounds familiar. Yep, sounds Mm -hmm. familiar. Yep, sounds familiar. 
And in a lot of ways, you know, it doesn't make it any easier that we have to sort through the work itself. Like we still got to do the work. But the fact that you can talk to somebody that has had a similar experience and then, you know, support each other to unravel this thing. And if there is good that can come out of it, like that's what I want to be uh, a, a part of. And so it's really mm -hmm. uh, refreshing to talk to you about this, even though, you know, the topic is not... <laughs> it's not like a fun thing you know it's no, like it's but real I talk have to, i have to say that you know through our podcast we've had the opportunity to connect with some real leaders in and trailblazers and whistleblowing and exposing this stuff one of them being leah remini from scientology and she said to me and i'll say it to you as well is that it doesn't not everyone's up for it you know most people when they realize they're a part of something like this they go oh, shit like oh that's a cult or that wasn't good and they just move on with their lives and often they just hop to the next group. It's called cult, cult hopping. Um, and it's super important to not do that because otherwise whatever drew you in, you know, or that desire for community or recovery or whatever, will just, you'll just fill it somewhere else. So you have to like, you gotta, you gotta look at that. That's, that's doing the work for me now, but it also takes a certain kind of person to go, holy fuck, we were part of something bad and, um, you know, learn from those mistakes, expose it, and that takes a lot of life force, you know, I got to tell yeah. you, just from yeah. somebody who's done it. And it's something that Nippy and I are always kind of like, okay, we got the kids and we're also still doing this. And how much more life force is it going to take? For me, my personal measure is I'm not stopping until everybody's awake and they don't think they're not awake. They think that they're totally awake and clear. And so that's hard. And, um, you have to figure out for yourself what's what's your what's your goal here you know like are you just are you trying to like like for me i was also cleaning up my mess because i re recruited a lot of people into it so i want to make sure everyone was okay i want to make sure everybody had jobs and legal support and you know if there's a class action lawsuit so trying to help people get their money back you know that's that's it for me and for you it might be a different um journey but i think ultimately you're on it and it, like i said it takes a certain kind of person not everybody wants to do that so i commend you for that yeah thank you sarah and i i feel the same way about you like this is just <laughs> shedding so much light in my life and and the big wake up for me which is this is another piece of it is especially the recovery piece is that uh, you know that's definitely where my heart is. Like, you know, I, I love supporting people in recovery um, and they're celebrating, you know, six weeks of sobriety for the first time since they were 12 years old or, you know, like you can still do that relationships. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like this yeah. is another piece of it, because my whole uh, idea about addiction is like, you know, addiction is any repeated pattern that you continue to do that produces negative results. And recovery is taking an honest look at that pattern and reconnecting with your vision, your values, and who you are. That's the process of recovery. Well, that can be applied to this experience with a cult. I mean, that that is recovery as well. It's not just are, alcohol or drugs. We are in. Re you and I are in recovery, hardcore right now. Yeah, and I, totally. I, I actually really relate to that. And I had looked at it like that. And I've always known that I have an addictive personality. Like sidebar when i got a game boy in 1990 i finished every <laughs> level of tetris and super mario brothers and like missed it. my mom took me to france when i was like 13 and i was like dee -dee 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 -dee. And, and and then i was and then i gave game boy away when i finished the top level and said i'm never playing a video game ever again because i don't want to miss 
the south of France and the Dordogne and the castles and the because I I knew I I had the self awareness at the age of thirteen to go I'm never gonna gamble, you know I just I can't I can't do that right. Um, I lost my train of thought. Addictive personality, addictive recovery. Hold on, backtrack. Damn, this is live. You can't edit it out. <laughs> I'm just you said <laughs> you said something. Okay, I'm good. You said something about um, and I was thinking, yes, you can still do that. I mean. I, I don't know what that looks like physically. Do you still have the Dharma Temple space? I know no, no one's in there now because of COVID, but do you still have it? No, we don't. We made the okay. decision to close Dharma Temple okay. because we were on a month-to-month lease, so oh, we good. didn't have a yeah, legal good. obligation. And we had a Smart. Calgary center that did have a legal obligation, but they were you know, having struggles with uh, ongoing... Um, regulations coming in and coming out and how do you how does a person survive like that so you know oh, provided sorry. us with it what's that no go i just remembered what i was gonna say you finish. better say it now or you'll forget okay. so when i was talking to our mutual friend who's taken both nexium and kundalini and still teaches and also is struggling with what do i teach now um she was sharing a bit more about the, about her her understanding of kundalini in terms of and I'm going to butcher this because I just learned about it like an hour ago. Um, being, the, you know, part of the community that shines light uh, and being like the humanitarian movement that brings us into the age of Aquarius. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds. Did pretty I did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, and, and she was the way she talked about it. I was like, oh, I can totally see why you were in both communities because we thought that we were, you know, these humanitarian bright lights that were going to shift consciousness and ethics in the world and all of the problems that we saw all the 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 symptoms what we could potentially get rid of if we reached the right people in leadership and i think that i mean i don't know if you relate to this at all but as i've gone through my own spiritual spiritual journey and recovery coming to terms with you know i joined nexium because i was looking for my purpose and I truly yeah. believe now that my purpose was to rise up in the ranks and be that bright light that was strong enough and yet not traumatized enough because I didn't live in Albany to then bring it down and to shine a light on what's actually happening. And that for me was my purpose because I joined to help people. And now I'm helping more people than we ever reached in Nexium. We had like 20,000 people max that ever went through the doors and over 100,000 have listened to our podcast already, never mind the book and the vow, which is like millions of people. So I feel so empowered by that recognition. And I want to maybe just throw that up to you is that maybe it's not necessarily the Kundalini original purpose that you thought it was, but what you're doing now may be so much more important just saying yeah that. definitely i feel that way i mean as i mentioned even with the kundalini the thing that i was there's two things i'm passionate about one is that i've got all this you know knowledge and, and experience with with as far as like even what we're saying like unpacking like what is the tradition and where did it come from and i mean i can spout stuff like that out without ha even having to look back at a book because of my uh background so that's beneficial yeah. for people who are like, hey, can, what can I keep practicing? And somebody 
suggested that as an academic work, just go through the Kundalini manual, which is thick, like a science textbook, and just like mark it all up and take all of the things out and get rid of the other things and then provide that as a resource. That's And I would probably like doing that because I'm a nerd like, like you had mentioned you are. And then the, the thing that I'm most passionate about is the recovery work. And it's also when I say recovery work, it's changing the stigma around recovery. Because when you say recovery to someone, they go like, oh, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't need that. Well, I think about recovery as any habit that is kind of keeping you from your vision or your purpose. And how do you get yourself back on track with that? And that's what that's what I was doing in Kundalini. And then I was ignoring the parts of it that were like, this is weird. Or why do we do that? Or like, why, you know, why did I ask this person these stories about our teacher? And I was kind of given a convoluted answer or there's like hiding of abuse or so there's a way to. So I, I feel like what you said, just being part a part of the healing is necessary for me. I feel like if I just sort of tried to just walk away because I wasn't really that involved, like I, I just couldn't sleep at night if I if I did that. I think about it like camping right now. You know when you go camping and they say like leave the place nicer than you found it? Yes. That's kind of what I'm trying to do. Good. And I'm going to forget that or try to wipe from my mind that Keith used to say that all the time. Oh, no way. Maybe I won't say that. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm sure he didn't make it up. What was he trying to, what was he trying to oh, leave nicer? He was always talking about how he was trying to make, you know, make things better, but it was always so like, he used to do this. I haven't, I don't think we've talked about this anywhere. He used to talk about how like sometimes he wouldn't pick up the trash because he didn't want to enable the litter bugs, but to make sure that he himself wasn't being lazy he would go over to the garbage that was on the ground and mime picking it up and putting in the trash. <laughs> oh my God. That is Just so to make sure that he was upholding the right value. Like that, but these kind of things like people would talk about that he did and I'd be like, that's just fucking dumb. Like I, but of course you could never say that because then you're, you know, suppressive or whatever. Oh my but was, God, there, was, that... was there a name for, for people who were, questioning and being like not obedient uh i mean i don't know if there was a name but i've heard from people who were inner circle um when people would leave the community which happened regularly and and they said looking back you know because they've been around way longer than me 30 40 years they knew yogi yeah. budgeon and they said like i didn't when people would leave and they were my friends they said like people that i knew and loved I would just assume that there was something wrong with them and never talk to them again. And they are dealing with like really heavy guilt now that all of this stuff is coming to the surface. Well, make sure they don't, well, one, it's hard to say don't feel guilt, but one of the terms that I've learned from all the different cult experts that I've studied and interviewed is that there's this concept of planted phobia, which have you heard, of, heard about this in your recovery? No, I don't nope. know about it. Okay, so like in a religious cult, it's things like, you know, if you, if you leave, you'll die, essentially, or God will smite you, or, um, you know, you'll grow hair on your face, or who knows what, like some, some terrible, you'll, you'll, go blind, you'll go blind, right? Right. And these are real things, and I, when I heard about that, I was like, well, we didn't have that, because ours wasn't religious, but then I realized, no, if you left, it was because you couldn't do the work, like you hit up, like anyone who left, even if it was on good terms... It was like, oh, well, they was because they hit up against that issue. Like, they 
they were they they are not going to evolve that thing. So ultimately, the fear underneath leaving is, well, I'm gonna I'm still gonna have these issues that I'm you know I came to this group to evolve. And the main thing, and why I think there's still so many loyal followers, is that they've committed. They've committed and put so much on the line. So if they leave now, they're they're weak. They're non-committal. They're um, they're not ethical. You, you can't be trusted. That's a planted phobia in in our types of spiritual paths. Even though ours isn't yoga, it's the same. It's, I think it's the same thing. So people who left, you didn't want. If people feel guilty about not speaking to them, don't. If they're listening or watching this, don't feel guilty. That was part of the indoctrination to look down upon people that weren't on the path. Yeah. And that's just that's just what you got to look at. Just go like, oh shit, I was really righteous. You know, that's shitty. Like you have got you got to own that and then fix it. You don't, don't feel guilty. That doesn't help anybody. Yeah, I think that's great. Great advice. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for me, those are, it's kind of a unique thing too, because there's like this hierarchy of elders with our situation, right? Because some people have been mm -hmm. going for 40 years and then you, you, you know, try and talk to somebody about it and they think, oh, well, they know more than you, not only because they're deeper in, in the hierarchy of the whole thing, but they're also an elder. So anyways, right. um, yes. I, my partner here, she, let me see if I can bring this up. She, she said, oh. what about the language of slave and master when you joined the women's group? How did these words sit with you at the time? <clears throat> Great question. Um, so in the actual Nexium curriculum, we actually, in the, in the concepts around value and money in those modules, we talked about slavery and how slavery was bad and how, you know, when you're a slave, you don't own the products of your own efforts. And that even went so far as to say taxation is slavery because you don't own the products of your efforts. In fact, not paying your taxes was strongly encouraged. I always paid my taxes, by the way, because I felt differently. But I always was like, well, I'm Canadian and my taxes go to good things. And so I'm not going <laughs> to follow that. <laughs> and I also didn't want to do illegal things. But I knew a lot of, a lot of people didn't pay their taxes in the U.S. and Nexium. So when they brought up this concept and I was invited into DOS and she's, she, Lauren was the person who invited me, Nancy's daughter, Nancy's the president of the company. Um, she was really good at making weird things seem okay. So I loved having her, just to backtrack for a second, I loved having her teach the five day because she would, the very first class was called rules and rituals where we explained the bowing, the sashes, taking your shoes off, um, you know, calling people by their proctor, prefect, vanguard titles and why we do all those things. And all of that preface to say, if you feel uncomfortable and you want to leave, it's because you, we've hit up against a disintegration and you're here to work on your issues. So stick it through. In other words, override your gut instinct, separate note. If you feel uncomfortable and there's something saying it's not right, it's probably not right and you need to leave. <laughs> a little piece of advice moving yes. forward. Um, so she would say like, okay, you know, we're wearing our sashes and it's people get triggered by that because they, and by the way, I'm going to take this, show this picture to you that Nippy just found for me. That's me wearing my green sash with my baby in. Oops. Oh yeah. I can see. Yeah. That. Her, yeah. That was my, that's what the sashes look like. So, People would come out in these sashes and you're like, well, that's weird. And like, well, you know, in martial arts, you wear a belt. It signifies your rank. It's just, a, it's just a signification of the rank. Why is that weird? So she 
would make all these weird things that I felt like I sometimes didn't bring people to trainings because I knew they react to these things. But Lauren would be like, so we do this. And like we call judge your honor and we call Keith Vanguard because he's the leader of a philosophical movement. And so it's not a big deal though. She presented that to me in the same way. She's like, I'm going to be your coach. And it's similar. She had, this is actually when guru first came as a, like a word that started being used. She's like, I'm like a guru disciple relationship. Except we call it master slave. I'm the master, you're the slave. It's not like you're the real slave because like you live in Vancouver. <laughs> so it's not like I'm being shackled anywhere, right? So it, it didn't sit well with me, mm-hmm. but I trusted Lauren. And I, tr- you know, this is the woman who was our son's godmother. She was our maid of honor at our wedding and the person I would go to for all my issues. So I, you know, I, tr- I trusted her implicitly. And yes, it was weird, but it was also like, okay, she's going to mentor me every day. Awesome. I don't care what you call it. <laughs> you know, like right. getting Lauren's time was a very rare thing. So yeah, that's how it's at. Did that answer my answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. That was a great, that was a great answer. I definitely, when I was watching the show, when the whole like Vanguard came in for me, I was like, <laughs> I'm, I, it's funny because when you're outside watching it, you're like, Oh, well, why wouldn't they notice like that? That's so weird. And then we have all of our name stuff (laughs) in Kundalini. It's like you can see it when it's outside of you, but it's hard to see it when it's inside of you. Yep. That's why I think it's so good that the it's such a um, what do we call it today? Maybe the golden age of the maybe just walked in the golden age of the cult stuff in media. It's like there's so much to to look at and, and relate to. And I think that's ultimately why I think the next generation will be safer because they've got so much out there as a template with all the red flags and everything to protect them. For sure. And it's harder to harder to hide things in this day and age, isn't yeah. it? You know, hundred percent. That's that's the other uh, part of it. I wondered about opening the center, like when sure. you open the center, because we, you know, we share similarities there. Like, um, you, you mentioned how it can be a struggle and finding members and that kind of thing. And I wondered about like the closing of the center and what that was mm-hmm. like and what the community response was like and that kind of thing. Oh man. That was an intense part of my journey because we'd put so much love, sweat, tears, sweat, equity, everything into it. And um, closing the center, I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that I had to, like, A, financially, B, ethically. Like, we had actually had another training scheduled for a month later that would have brought us, like, 20 grand or so um, for the center and and for uh, the sales team. And... I, I, I like I entertain that in my head for a minute. Like, can we do one more five day? <laughs> can we just do one more five day? To, like, get that money so we could pay for everything, because we had all these like legal costs. We were defending ourselves against Claire, who had been trying to get me arrested. Anyway, there's all this all this stuff at play. But ultimately, it's like I knew I had to close it. I had a number of people who, I mean, at first I didn't tell people why I was leaving. I didn't tell people about the branding. I just said, you know, I can't get into it. So, some things that are not right and I'm stepping down and people in Vancouver, like you said, never met Yogi Bhajan. They never met Keith. They didn't need to call him and ask his opinion. They're like, well, Sarah and Ippy are stepping down. We're we're like, we're not taking classes. Mm -hmm. And so a bunch of people at offers say, look, if you need anything, let me know. And I made a list of those people. And one day I was like, can you meet me at the center? I need to wrap it up. And we all went and 
Um, I didn't think this would happen. <laughs> it was really hard because I was literally ripping posters off the wall and packing up my office. And, um, you know, our, our goal was to buy all the tech, all the classes, all the binders, all the papers, the iPads that technically weren't ours. We leased them from the company. And I handed, was handing them over. This is the part in the vow. You remember that scene where I'm giving the boxes? And I, and I, yeah. I filmed that not for the vow. I filmed that to, as proof that I had returned everything because I knew that they would say that I would stolen, which they did eventually. And that's when I was like, you know, trying to communicate to these people who were my former very close friends, what you're involved in. You're, they didn't believe me. They believed the leadership, right? And they said, Sarah's having a tantrum. She made a commitment she couldn't uphold, which was true. And, and I'm like, this is sex trafficking. And they're like, what? Like they couldn't wrap their head. I didn't even know how it was sex trafficking at the time. I just knew it was sex trafficking. And I was, I was so in trauma. Um, and at the same time, it was liberating because this was a vegetarian center. We ordered meat pizza. We, like I, I fed everyone who helped me. We had this huge poster board of executive success programs with my face and a bunch of leaders on it. And we like ripped apart the board. I didn't film that because it was like, I didn't want that to get out, but I wish we'd filmed it now because I wouldn't care. Um, and we just like, we just took it all down. And I found somebody to lease the space and I gave them everything, gave them all the furniture, I gave them the TVs. Um, cause I, I didn't want any of it. Like I didn't, and I didn't have the mental capacity to be like, okay, maybe I can sell that TV for a hundred dollars. I was like, if this, if they'll take over the space and take over the lease, then, you know, here, here it all is. So it was very upsetting, um, because we built it. I also knew I couldn't run ethos there. Ethos was like the ongoing membership, uh, or on any trainings. Um, and I was devastated about telling this community that it was over. But I also knew I couldn't continue. So a lot of things. Yeah, I definitely feel you. <laughs> you know, I mean, we were closing our center because of COVID, but also with all of these questions, and it was really hard. And it's been really confusing in the last year to decide what to do. And only in the last month, you know, did I take my turban off and cut my hair mm -hmm. and um change my name back and uh so reno reno is your actual name my birth name is ryan but when i was a kid growing up my friends all called me reno um when i was in the 10th grade there were seven ryans in my homeroom class and so oh i was lucky enough to have a childhood nickname so i didn't have to be ryan m number two or something <laughs> <laughs> so i and like then, reno. And then what, what was your um kundalini name Tiaga Prem Singh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I learned a lot about the Sikh tradition. I pilgrimaged to India. I learned a, a lot of beautiful aspects of my life that I took on. Some of those aspects were hard for my partner because I'm like, I'm totally like you said about addictive personality. Like I'm like, I'm all in. Let's go. What is, if it's good, let's do the whole thing. You know, let's not do it part way. Uh, but you know, as I, this is also keeping in mind, this is while I'm in recovery and every year of recovery starts to look different. And when you're five mm -hmm. years into recovery, the way you see the world is a lot different than when you're one year in, mm -hmm. you know, and then as we're learning things as we go and supporting people in recovery, it's sort of like, this is where I, I'm being called to help people. And I think the challenge with, uh, 
for a lot of folks is that they there's like this expectation for me to keep going because mm -hmm. I was the I you know just like my teacher was a really great in, influence in my life and support in my life uh, they feel that way about me and I'm having this moral uh, you know ethical dilemma I guess you call it and then I go okay I'm going to step away and then people feel like they don't have ground to stand on and it's it's mm -hmm. pretty challenging to be everything to everybody. Some people are really supportive. Some people really get it. Some people just are interested in the recovery work. And some people don't really want to hear what Reno Munz has to say. They want Tiago <laughs> Prem Singh and they want Kundalini Yoga. Right. Yeah. You got to figure out what you're willing to give them. Yeah. And what so you want to, what you want to give. Yeah. And that's why I thought it would be interesting to hear, you know, your process, if there were people putting pressure on you to keep going or anything. No, like that. no, no. I mean, there's some people that wanted me to coach them um, afterwards because they thought I was a good coach, which I think I am. But I also had to say, look, I, I just don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't know so many of the tools at that point. I'm like, I don't know what's Keith's, what's good, what's bad. I, and I also just thought, I mean, the whole coaching industry, I just am kind of turned off by in general. Um, no one's asked, no one's pressured me to keep going. The center, everybody got it really quickly who was in Vancouver because they weren't as indoctrinated as the people who were in Albany and, you know, right. still under the, that spell. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, I think the thing that I'm dealing with the most now is just figuring out like, I say it's similar to you figuring out what's next. Part of that, I, I think I have figured it out in that doing this is what's next. Talking to people, understanding abuses of power across the board, not just cults, organizations, relationships, helping people see the red flags, wake up, recovery. That's that is part of my that is my recovery. It's being yeah. being the the light to that path and um not not feeling I mean, it's, I'm lucky because I have, I can do voice work because I'm an actor. So I can, that sustains me barely <laughs> financially. So this is just, this is just, you know, fills my, fills my cup, bucket, heart, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but also dealing with the fact that there are still people who are, remain loyal and are deniers of the abuse, which is really hard that, you know, it's one thing for them to say, I mean, their their main criticism of me is that I'm an opportunist. You know, I did all this for the book deal, which is crazy because I'm just waiting for that whistleblower money to come on down. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, I think I think what's true is that I'm very driven. I was very successful in the company. I've been successful out of the company. I think that that's hard for people who haven't had that success. Um, so that's that's their attacking point on me. I don't care, but it's there's people who are victims of Keith who had way worse done to them. And I'm more protective of them. Like, are all of the women lying? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's a big conspiracy. Like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, we have the same mm -hmm. thing. I mean, that's where people say things like, you know, Oh, well, like you talked about the baby with the bathwater thing. It's like, oh, well, I love these other teachers and they did all of this harmful stuff. And, and I can still like read Aleister Crowley or, you know, different characters. He's like the father of the occult or so like, mm -hmm. why can't I do the Kundalini yoga and just know that Yogi Bhajan, you know, was a rapist? Like, why can't I just do that? And first of all, it's like, I can't give you permission to do that, but mm -hmm. I feel like 
it's a different thing for me with Alistair Crowley because I'm not connected to him in any way, but mm. I know people who are directly connected to the abuse that happened with Yogi Bhajan. And for me to just stand by and go, oh, well, we'll just carry on. Uh, I can't do that. Like I have mm. a, a nine-year-old daughter. If I found out that my teacher and mentor had assaulted her, do you think that I would be, I would be able to just go, well, we let's just keep the good and carry on. Or yeah. if my friends did that, like, you know, that would be so hurtful. Yeah. It's very hurtful. I just saw Jennifer says, how did yeah, I I'll bring it up on the screen yeah. here? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. See. So how did you deal with the loneliness of losing that community? That's been my biggest obstacle from Jennifer. Um, I am still dealing with it, I'd say. Um, I think I also recognized part of my personality was that I, you know, that I loved that community. I loved being surrounded by this group. And possibly it was a counter to my, this is just my personal journey, like recognizing the kind of like not being popular in high school and then rising up the ranks and feeling special and popular and loved and in that community. So that's sort of something I've had to reconcile in terms of maybe I don't need it. <laughs> um, I don't need the community in that. I don't need it in that unhealthy way, if that makes sense. Like that's sort of, that's my personal journey. But I've also recognized because the community was so big, I didn't actually have a lot of close friendships. Um, and now I have, and also partly due to COVID, <laughs> you can't see people really. And if you do, it's gonna be careful and it's out in the woods and you only wanna spend time with people you really love, <laughs> right? Yeah, so I've, really, yeah. I've Right. So I, I, I feel like for me, I've kind of like grieved the loss of the community, recognize what parts of it I don't need and established healthier friendships outside of the community that are, it's just a smaller tight knit bubble of really what's important. I don't need this big group for me. Right. That, that being, that being said, my son, um, is in a, you know, I, we, we didn't get into our local school, so I had to look at other schools and we found a private school that is part of the Jewish community. And a lot of the people there, when I walked into that info night before COVID, were like kids that I went to camp with. And, you know, some of the teachers at his school were my former, you know, um, I was their camp counselor and things like that. So that was like a, a community feeling that's not culty. Um, there's no us versus them. It's just a healthy community. And I feel really good about being part of that. Um, so you know, finding healthy communities to be a part of where I feel support. Support is a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, so, and then also learning to find um, just like, what what do I need to do to feel good in my life in other ways, I guess. Um, I do practice yoga. I've never been part of a, like a diehard community in, in the way that I think you guys have. Like I never had that. Um, but I, it's just more for my mental well-being, I guess. It just grounds me. I meditate only in Shavasana. It's the only time I can sit still for long enough. <laughs> um, um, what else can I say? Some, uh, there's another question about that that may be a good segue. Do you want to ask the one from, from Sarah? The grief process? Of course I want to. I was on mute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so Sarah Jade, I'm curious about the grief process of losing your friends, your space, trusted mentors, etc. 
the good things. Where where are you in this process now? That's a great question. Thanks, Sarah Jade. No bias there, of course. We don't. <laughs> Big bias. <laughs> it is a good question. Um, where am I in the grief process? I'd like, I mean, I've gone from being very angry and super betrayed to I have like a lot of forgiveness now for everybody involved. I mean, I still think legal things need to happen so everyone's held accountable, but I don't, I'm not, I don't hold that anger anymore. I'd like to reconcile and talk with some of the people who are in the leadership who lied to me um, and, you know, withheld information because I do believe that they are, even though they did illegal things, they're also victims of Keith. Um, so I'd like to have those conversations one day. Um, the space, I'm totally happy with it being gone. That was a real burden that I didn't know that I carried in terms of like, you know, financially meeting rent and running that business was very stressful. And I'm very happy to not have it, especially, man, I can't Im imagine having that lease right now during COVID. So like the timing worked out well. Um, losing friends, I've recognized a lot of those friends weren't really my friends. And the friends that are really my friends are very much in my life. And that feels good. It's sort of like a refocusing of what's super important. Um, and also having another child. I had a second baby. I think you did as well, Reno, right? Like another No, no, we child just only a... have one. Oh, no. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of somebody else. I apologize. Um, yeah, it's okay. okay. So ha we had Ace uh, two years ago, and that's really helped me to just refocus on what's important. And that's my family doing this work and yeah and i just realized it's 11 oh excuse me 11 15 i'm gonna have to go soon um yeah that's okay we can uh wrap it yeah. up you know that's yeah. uh that's all good so thanks everybody for your questions and um i was just going to mention one more thing about yes. my personal process with the community is that that's where this recovery work for me has really stepped forward because that's ultimately what i was doing with kundalini yoga anyways was providing people with an opportunity to really take an honest look at their lives and to share my experiences because you know I don't I didn't go to university to become a counselor or, or a therapist or anything like that but I've been in and out of recovery for 20 years you, you name it I've tried it including the cult stuff including yoga including meditation including 12 steps including a year live in uh, recovery center you know all of these things and to be able to share those tools with other people that's really building a, a beautiful community and it's also changing the narrative around recovery because not everybody in there is in there because of alcohol or drugs. Some people mm -hmm. are healing from kundalini yoga. Some people are healing mm -hmm. from obsessive exercising. Some people are healing from um, eating disorder. Some people, and th these are the reasons that they came to kundalini yoga in the first place. And that's why mm -hmm. people really feel betrayed um, because mm -hmm. what they were leaning into for their healing had that rotten center, as you're saying, and mm -hmm. it's hard to know what to do and it's a process. So I really appreciate yeah. everything that, uh, that you've shared. Um, Thank I don't you. know if you have Thanks time for, for one me. more question or. I saw that. Yes. Let's answer it real quick and then I'm going to okay. run. Well, one more question and then we'll wrap it up. So yeah. Natalie says, do you think there is any concern for people who stayed in Nexium continuing to bring more people in? Is there any danger for students being taught by teachers who deny Yogi Bhajan's abuse? Okay, I'll answer mine. Um, the yeah. people who remain were not the people who were building it. They're not the main teachers. Like the people who remain loyal don't have the capacity to 
run classes or like do anything. There's no, there's no space as far as I know that's holding anything. I think they all kind of work with each other and EM each other and try to keep each other on track, but there's not the community that remains is not a thriving community. I think they've, they've been able to get a little people, little, some people on board with their narrative that this was all prosecutorial misconduct and it's all false allegations and false narrative and blah, blah, blah. So people maybe believe them um, and think that maybe I'm not to be believed, but I don't think there's, a group necessarily that's existing that could actually do anything because they the people who who are left are not the actual recruiters or builders or teachers they're they were lower rank does that make sense yeah and just a short answer and we could talk about it later natalie um <laughs> yeah of course there's danger any kind of denying of abuse there's danger in you know that's just the reality of it and mm -hmm. uh I think the big thing, what we learned today is to talk about it. And if you feel called to be a part of the dismantling, there's ways to build community around that so that we can be a part of the healing, which is really what I wanted the aim of this conversation to be, you know, not so much like pointing out the wrongs, that's a necessary part of it, but uh, amplifying and looking at uh, how do we heal from this? How do we, you know, encourage people to get free? How do we support survivors? I just had a thought about that. I do think it is dangerous that there are people out there that do deny the abuse in terms of Keith's abuse. Um, but what I've come to realize is I think because of all of us that left were so angry about being lied to and whatnot that we created such so much an us and them divide. And I'm guessing that might be happening in your community, like the deniers and the people who Big are time. saying something bad happened, right? right? The heart of that, yeah. Right. So there's no dialogue. And what I wish I could do now is reconnect with some of those people who don't, won't talk to me because of course I'm the enemy and they're, they're shunning me, which is also a red flag of a cult for sure, um, is say to them, and this is I think important for anyone who might be watching who is a denier, like the people who are still supportive of Keith, they're saying, but that wasn't my experience. I wasn't like what I said for years, right? It's not my experience. I wasn't abused. I didn't see those things. Mm -hmm. I wanna say to them, that's great. I'm so glad that you had a good experience. I really, and I truly am. And I want them to be happy and I want them to live fulfilled lives. But really the dialogue should be, I believe, from them, their perspective is, okay, that wasn't my experience. Okay, but you're saying you're hurt or this abuse happened. Tell me about that. Like when someone says, no, it didn't happen or it's all false narrative or she's just an opportunist or looking for attention or whatever, whatever the accusation is as a deflection when someone's deflecting that kind of abuse is saying it's not true. That's, that's a, that's a real problem. The, the question should be, okay, okay, I didn't see that, but if you had that experience, tell me what happened. Right. So that's what I would encourage your community to do is yeah. if people are saying there's no abuse, you're like, well, I'm glad that you weren't abused. Mm -hmm. Good. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you got good things, but like people are saying they were abused. So let's look at that. Yeah. What's, what's the harm in having a conversation? <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people, you know, won't have the conversations, but some people will. I mean, I'm talking mm -hmm. to uh, Guru Singh on the, on the uh, show tomorrow, those of you who are watching at 10 a.m. Pacific time, who was with Yogi Bhajan for 40 years. And the intention is to have a positive conversation. But, you know, if people are in just like now who want to ask questions, like that's the place to do it. He has not mm -hmm. agreed to do this publicly in these 40 years. And because he was a mentor to me, he's agreeing to do that. And I think it's about having these conversations. That's why I started this show in the first place. And, and same thing with A Little Bit Culty, your mm -hmm. podcast is like, we need to talk about this stuff. 
the challenge is, is that if we just say, push it aside or feel like we're not that involved and we can just move on. It's like, no, let's, let's have these difficult conversations and be a part of the healing. Amen. Yeah. Okay, Sarah. Well, thanks for being on the show and let's keep in touch. I will, uh, you can run here and I'll let everybody know, uh, just as in the outro here where they can find your book, your podcast and, um, your website, your Instagram, your Twitter, all of that. And, uh, we really appreciate you being here. Thanks for the great questions. It's so glad to, I'm so glad to meet you. And uh, obviously we'll go part two soon. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Let's keep in touch and have a great rest of your day. Say hi to your family. Okay. And we'll talk soon. I will. You All bet. Right. Okay. Peace. Bye. Bye. Peace. Bye. All right, everybody. So thanks everyone for being here. Uh, this was a great episode. I hope you learned a lot. I sure did. Definitely feeling inspired by uh, Sarah and her experiences and also the research that she's doing. Please do check out her podcast. It's called A Little Bit culty you can also check out the website at a little bit or go to her web- website sarah edmondson.com and i'll put those links in the show notes so you can uh, check them out if you're if you're not um you don't have a pen to write down while i'm talking super fast she's also on instagram and the podcast a little bit culty also has a name and the book is called scarred please check it out and if you haven't seen the vow on hbo you got to check it out it's a, a great program especially if you've experienced kundalini yoga or you're part of that community highly recommend watching it so that's it for this episode. I'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific time with Guru Singh. If you feel like making a donation to the show, there's a link there. Uh, you can just click it and make a donation so we can keep doing this work, keep sharing with you all. And if you'd like to become a member of the True Seekers Recovery, uh, just go to trueseekersrecovery.com and you can become a member. We have a meeting tonight at 7 p.m. Pacific time. I think that's it for now. Thanks everyone who asked questions. Thanks everyone who's been a part of the show. Um, Also, I'll let you know on Saturday, we have Maher Singh who's coming on. Uh, He lives in Texas. He is a Westerner who became a Sikh, not through 3HO or Kundalini Yoga, but through Basics of Sikhi. And he's got some great insights on the relationship between Kundalini Yoga and the Sikh tradition. Definitely recommend being here for that and hope to see you all tomorrow for the conversation with Guru Singh. Thank you, uh, Blank Castillo. Castillo, Also great to have you here. Um, Oh yeah, Audible of Sarah's book. Check it out. It's called Scarred. Highly recommend it. Thanks for uh, reminding me, uh, Natalie. That's great. And thank you, um, Sarah Jade. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, everybody who tunes into the show. Thanks for all the love and for all the support. And uh, without further ado, we'll wrap it up and I'll see you all tonight at uh, True Seekers. Bless. Thank you.